0: Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. dave i think summer has finally descended on central kentucky
1: indeed it has indeed it has uh, although i hear the people in the uh, pacific northwest are are uh, kind of cooking in their own
0: juices <laughs> is uh jim bates enjoying some of that uh he he lives in tacoma and
1: his building has it's a modern building not built very long ago has no air conditioning Oh man! How hot, just, did, how hot did it get? Uh, it was it was ninety five inside his apartment the other day. Inside, um, it's hard to sleep. Yeah, it was above it was above a hundred for three sta- straight days up there. And, well, hopefully uh,
0: they get some relief because they're not used to that.
1: No, it's just like South Florida. You know, in, in Southern Florida, there are homes that are built without heat in uh. Apparently in the Pacific Northwest, it is not uncommon at all to build buildings and have no air conditioning.
0: Well, glad I'm not there right now.
1: Yeah, it's warm enough here, but it's a good kind
0: of warm. Well, what's up in your model sphere, Dave?
1: Well, my mojo is flying high. Progress on the modeling front that I'll talk about later, uh... Modeling related stuff, uh, you know, modeling adjacent stuff that I've been getting done that I've been dinking around with too long. And I got some stuff to help my M30 project move forward. So, you know, my mojo is, hi, I'm having fun, which, let's face it, this is a hobby. If it feels like work, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> it's a hobby. You're here to have fun.
0: <laughs> Amen, man. So how about your model sphere? Well, I was out in the garage this weekend, kind of stumbling around and, and trying to get my tools back in shape. Cause, uh, I got another car on the way. It's going to be another shade tree kind of car. Uh, but in doing that, I ran across that DOA, uh, silent air 20A compressor you gave me last year. Yeah. And I figured I'd have a better go at it. Trying to get that sucker going again. Yeah. Um, I think a certain barrister may have misdiagnosed the mechanical issue with the compressor. So well, uh,
1: I will yeah. be interested to learn what you... I, I was pretty positive of what it was, but if, if you come up, you're the engineer. If you come up with a, <laughs> with a better diagnosis and it turns out you're right, it's,
0: let it's, me know. This might be a stay in your lane, bro, kind of moment.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I don't think the air tank is rusted through. That seemed highly unlikely to me from the get-go because it's like made out of quarter-inch plates welded together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the valve head pressure release was jacked up. Uh, you know, that air thingy, you had the big blob of epoxy putty on. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that malfunctioned and the next weakest point in the link was the, uh, drain cock on the air tank. And it just blew by the gasket on that thing due to overpressure.
1: Oh, well, well, if that turns out to be the case, man, you've got an easy fix and you can end up with a nice, uh, uh, though you, the well-used, uh, silent <laughs> compressor.
0: Well, the build date on is 1993, so.
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah. I had no complaints. I got my use out of it. I mean, if well, I, to...
0: I, I can't imagine the pressure release is terribly expensive. H- however, though, the, uh, the regulator and filter seem to have gotten cabbaged off of it before it was so generously donated. So. Uh, yeah, indeed
1: <laughs> I did, but if you need them, I will mail them to you. You're right. I took I took it off in case, for some gosh unknown reason, I needed one. But I don't need another one. It's just sitting in the spare in a in the model closet. So I'll I'll box it up and mail it to you.
0: Well, you don't need to mail anything because we're going to be swinging by Dave's Little Jamaica on the Fourth of July. Yes. Well, and, that's uh, what I
1: was. That's what I was out cleaning the pool before we started recording.
0: I'll I'll trade you to. Uh... Horizon model Mercury rocket kits for it.
1: Like oh, you got it. That's a deal. That sounds like a good deal.
0: <laughs> well, well, they're yours anyway. <laughs> well, that's my model sphere. Trying to get a compressor going back to get
1: good. Uh, we'll see. That's what fantastic. Happens. So, Mike, uh, what's your what's your modeling fluid tonight?
0: Uh, I'm enjoying a little uh, Cougar bait key lime from uh, Country Boy Brewing right here in Lexington, Kentucky. How is their key lime? Well, you know it's their summer seasonal, and you know right. it's it's not unlike all those other lime enhanced or flavored uh, lime added beers you find this time of year. It's just the just the uh, foundation for it. The Cougar Bait, their standard Cougar Bait beer, is just a better. You know, it's just a better beer than you know something that's in Bud Lime or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Shiver just went up my spine.
1: Yeah, the, I I enjoy the. Added fruit added beers in the summer, you know, uh, uh the summer shandies, the the uh, key limes, the mango. I, I actually enjoy those if I'm outside working in the summer.
0: I typically do not. The lime one's an exception. I think my wife bought this for when we were having company last week. Ah. So I just grabbed it because I hadn't seen it before. So It's a new beer. It's a new beer. A new modeling fluid. That's always welcome. Well, we'll see. It may be. It may not be. It's pretty good, but I don't know. Would I buy more of them? Probably not. All right. She she might, and I might have to, you
1: know, abscond (laughs) another one. I was going to say, you poor guy, you'll have to drink it.
0: I guess so. What about you, man?
1: (laughs) Well, uh, tonight... I am having, in honor of the Amazon Prime release of the seventh season of Bosch, I'm having a New Belgium Fat Tire Amber Ale, which if you happen to watch the show, which is really well done, really well acted, the the lead actor, Titus Welliver, does a fantastic job as Harry Bosch. But in the show, Harry, Harry Bosch's preferred beer is Fat Tire, by New Belgium. I do not know how much New Belgium is paying for that product placement, <laughs> but they are getting their money's worth. I mean, those things pop up at least once an episode. Label always turned toward the camera. I mean, it's it's amazing how much more sophisticated product placement has gotten.
0: Yeah, I imagine so.
1: And that's not bad. That's, not, that's the first time I've had it. That's not bad at all. I,
0: I drink, I used to drink that style those Amberils a lot till I stopped drinking so much soda and lost my palate for sweet stuff yeah and I just a lot of them I can't finish more than one of anymore and that's including that one but it's it's a good beer
1: well considering it's a considering it's a 20 ounce um, uh, I, I let's hope I can finish more than one normal beer because uh, I'd hate this hate for this one to go to waste uh, so far so good
0: all right. Well, enough of that. Let's get to the listener mail. You got it. All right, man. Uh first up is from Mr. Ian Frazier from uh IPMS Hamilton, up near where Stuart and those guys are from uh Scale Model Podcast. Yeah. Uh laying down the groundwork for Musuru three. Uh oh. Which we are have been voluntold we're participating in.
1: <laughs> oh Lord. Uh, <laughs> Neither one of us is exactly a speed builder, so uh,
0: okay,
2: we may I, I,
1: have troubles.
0: All right, so uh, what are we gonna do, man? We don't know what the kit is yet, it's just gonna show up, and uh, one of us is gonna have to build it.
1: Oh, uh, well, I guess it'll depend on what it is.
0: Well, maybe <laughs> uh, I'm trying to see if we have to make that call before the kit shows up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: If that, hey, you come here on July 4th, we'll flip for it. That sounds good. Loser, loser has to build
0: it. That sounds fair to me. Oh, up next is our old friend, Alex Restrepo. I ran into Alex at the at the hobby shop the other day, and uh,
1: uh, he was quite pleased with us.
0: Well, good. I, I, do you know why? I do, because it's in the listener mail.
1: Yes, I do know why. He told me. So you, right. you go ahead and tell the story.
0: Well, I'll read it. Uh, Dave and Mike actually gave me top billing, but I changed it for your oh, emotional you. help. health. Thank you. You're I appreciate welcome. that. Can't tell you how much I've enjoyed the Dr. Strange Brush shows. I was listening to the last interview in the car with my wife. She indulges my podcast habits. When I mentioned that I'd like to try a top shelf airbrush, she surprised me on Father's Day with a Harder and Steenbeck Infinity Solo from Model Paint Solutions. Yes. <laughs> I've become a big fan of Dr. Miller's website and business. And now he's asking us when we're going to do an episode on the Tesla Roadster, because he thinks he might get lucky twice.
1: <laughs> do you think Elon would come on and uh, consent to an interview? Because I got news for you. I would love to talk to the man.
0: Well, I would too, but I'd be afraid that episode would go down about like the Saturday Night Live hosting he did. So. <laughs> I say, I vote no for that. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Tony Baconfiso from Wilton, Connecticut. And Tony, I hope I got that name right. I'm not sure I did, but I tried my best. Uh, He's enjoying the podcast. And he started out when he was 12 painting Ralpartha Partha miniatures in lead. Uh, So so he must have been a Dungeons and Dragons guy like me. Me too. I still got a lot of those. Still paint them on occasion. Uh, Now he's in his 50s. And he has returned to figure painting, albeit in a larger scale. He's doing 54 millimeter now. And he's looking to give plastic modeling a spin. Good on you, Tony.
1: Yep, absolutely. The, the crossover between uh, 54 millimeter figures and that transitions so well right into scale modeling. either you know, there are a whole bunch of 30 uh, second scale World War One pilot figures. So you could go in that direction and build the airplane. Or, I mean, it's a natural slide over into dioramas and vehicles and groundwork and stuff like that. So uh, he's got a lot of ways to go.
0: Well, and, you know, the slide down a bit to 35th scale, if he wants to get into armor, is not that big of a stretch, really. No, no. Well, he has uh, taken our general advice and has joined the... Let me find it here because I somehow deleted it from the outline. <laughs> he's joined the uh, Fairfield County, Connecticut Modeling Club. Great! And their first po- post COVID meeting is uh well he sent this on the twenty fourth is next week so I guess sometime the first week of July. Yeah. And he's looking forward to that, getting some advice on his first piece since returning to the hobby and making some new friends. And uh, and as you just said, he hopes to incorporate incorporate fifty four millimeter figures. Uh, with uh, plastic and resin models.
1: Good. Well, uh, listen, I'll tell you what. Uh, I know there are a lot of listeners out there who aren't close to a club, and we kind of serve as kind of a pseudo club for those folks, and we're more than happy to do that. And I, I, I love the interaction we get out of it. But if you do have a club that is close to you that you can attend, even just an occasional meeting, do it. Because, again, you get so much more out of the hobby when you interact with other modelers. It juices your mojo like nobody's business.
0: Well, your build group friend, John Vickis, out of Salt Lake City is, is back again. Well, he's one of the reason my mojo is, uh, is flying high. You know, he's out there with uh, Scott from the Plastic Posse podcast. And Scott told me they had, I think they had dinner the other night. Yes, they did. Okay, well, that's cool. Yeah. Well, anyway, this this time around, his is not modeling related. It's modeling fluid related. All right. He's asking me if I've ever had Uncle Nearest uh, 1856 Tennessee whiskey. Hmm. I have not, but I do know the story of Nathan Nearest Green and his part of the Jack Daniels story. Uh, Nathan Nearest Green was a former slave that taught Jack Daniels the art of whiskey making and served as his master distiller for some time at the Jack Daniels Distillery. Oh, really? It's a very interesting story. So if uh, you're into that sort of history, please check out Nathan Nearest Green. Well, uh, I, I saw
1: Mr. Vitkus recently because we had our monthly, uh, monthly Zoom call on the Mosquito. Group build and I actually had made some progress. So it was nice to to have the Zoom call and actually be able to show the 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 progress. But the really interesting thing is these, these Zoom calls have evolved to the point where we all now have a modeling fluid during the call. Uh, some it's wine, some it's whiskey or bourbon or beer. Um, but it just seemed to have naturally occurred that we all are having something and we all exchange information on what it is for about five minutes during the call. So, you know, life life imitating art, I guess.
0: I guess so. Oh, and finally, uh Ray LaGrant from Ware, Massachusetts, uh writes in again to clarify a couple of points surrounding his uh, airbrush mishap. hmm <laughs> Uh he says it was the first time he'd ever used an airbrush. You know, he's the one that stuck the needle through his finger. Yeah. Uh, I bet he didn't see that coming. <laughs> you, you know, th- that's kind of like not expecting a dislocated shoulder f- from a dirty carburetor on your, your push mower. Yeah. yep, Sort of the same thing. Not exactly, but.
1: Well, you know what? That's, it's, I remember when I first got, first got and used my first airbrush. I didn't know jack about airbrushes. I didn't know how to use it. I didn't know how to thin the paint. I was using those stupid compressed air cans.
0: Uh, uh, the, it, the all or none air can?
1: Yes, the all or none air can. Uh, You know, the one that, that became frosty, the snow can, Yeah, uh, if you sprayed for more than five minutes. I mean, I did not did not know jack about airbrushing it's like 0 then, or
0: 75 psi <laughs>
1: exactly <laughs> and it's or, or somewhere in between as it faded um but it 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 is amazing how much more info we have today cuz if you were to pick up an airbrush today and start for the first time the first thing you're going to do is go out on youtube put in the word airbrush and watch 20 or 30 videos. Now again, there's there's nothing, there's nothing like actually airbrushing that replaces airbrushing. It's the experience, but at least you're you're a couple of steps ahead of where I was as a noob just picking up an airbrush, and it's like, what the heck is this and how do I use it?
0: <laughs>
1: I even remember the first model that I used an airbrush on. It was an Airfix Blenheim.
0: Well, you're already one foot in the grave with that kid, anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it was
0: it was cutting edge for its time. You can say that about everything. Yeah, exactly. So was the horse and buggy. Yep. Well, I, I remember remember all the all the uh, you know that flocking paint overspray pileup you can get from Tamiya. Yeah. When you're like blowing it, that kind of like the uh, compressed air can kind of pressures. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I yep. used to I used to fight that a lot. Yep. It's been a long time. Not fighting it anymore. No. Oh, and finally, he uh, insists that uh, there was no modeling fluid involved in that mishap.
1: Darn it. The story would be so much better if there were.
0: Well. All right. Well, that's listener mail for this past couple of weeks.
1: Well, good. Now that you all have uh, heard listener mail, if you would take the time to uh, rate this podcast on your podcast listening app, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, um, uh, Podcast Addict, whatever you listen to us on. If you go in there and rate the podcast, if we'd appreciate it if you give it five stars to help it become more visible to more modelers out there. Uh, the podcasting space is a crowded space, and it's getting more crowded all the time. So... Anything you can do to help us stand out, we appreciate it. And also, as always, the best thing you can do is tell a friend. If you've got a modeling friend that hasn't isn't into podcasts, hasn't listened, doesn't know anything, if you'd help them out, show them what a what a podcast is, uh, get them listening. We'd appreciate it because there's nothing like an endorsement from a friend to gain us a new listener.
0: And while you're doing that, uh, there's a lot of other podcasts out there to listen to. But uh, before I get into that, I want to say that uh, if you've listened to the latest On the Bench, you know that uh, we've got a little something going on. And this segment of our show may be changing in the future. Maybe not. Maybe to some degree. Uh, we're creating a website directory for all all the podcasts to make, uh, make the uh, promotion of, of each other a little more passive so we don't have to burn so much uh, episode time with it. Not that we don't like them, but uh, I don't know what we're going to do yet. But I think uh, those guys at On the Bench are kind of going to move past that. But we'll see what we're going to do with it. But uh, there, there is a website coming as a repository for, for all the shows and things. But until then, we'll we'll keep to the same here. Please check out our fellow podcast, On the Bench from Australia with Davian and Julian. From listening to their latest episode, it sounds like uh, there's a Vegemite relief drop-in route for me all right so thanks mr goldfinch and yes i do like it and yes i did learn to eat it correctly i think ian mentioned that uh from you guys those guys told me how not to uh basically burn my sinuses out with it by putting too much on (laughs) very thin layer over butter that's right warm buttered toast yes and it's good with eggs i didn't know that i think so well, the warm oh, okay. buttered toast with Vegemite is good with eggs. Oh, okay. I don't know if Vegemite on eggs is good. <laughs> I was going to say. It might be worth a shot. I don't know. <laughs> uh, we got the Scale Model Podcast out of Canada with Stuart and Friends. And uh, I really liked their recap on Wonderfest and how it contrasted with our own. Uh, basically, it was uh, uh, a recap from folks in the genre versus ours, which was a recap of folks not in the genre. Those guys got all excited they knew all the people's names they knew they knew all the stuff and we were just uh, walking around slack jog uh like a, like kindergartners kindergarten art <laughs> class at the metropolitan art museum yep <laughs> we've also got the plastic posse podcast right here in the usa and i just want to thank scott and his team for all the great convo behind the scenes this past week it was very much appreciated uh i haven't got to their latest show yet but uh i'm sure i will shortly uh, just making conversation with Malcolm and James out of the UK. Please check out those guys. They got a fun little show. It's a, kind of a shorter format than some of the others, but it uh, fits fits in nicely to, to other activities, either at the bench or now that I got a shorter job commute. I'm kind of liking their show in the car.
1: Yeah.
0: And the Model Geeks from here in the USA. Uh, I look forward to meeting Darren and company at the IPMS National Convention. So uh, we're going to meet all kinds of people, Dave. Oh, listen, I'm telling you, again, The it's my favorite
1: four days of the year. I love it. And I am telling you what, it goes by in the blink of an eye. I mean, it is amazing how quickly those four days pass by because you're constantly doing something that you love, you know, talking with model friends, shopping, the vendor area looking at some of the best models you'll ever see built uh, just or go into a seminar it's it's just 4 days of fun and it passes in the blink of an eye i will be really interested to see how it is in las vegas
0: Well, in addition to the podcast, we've got some blog and YouTube friends out there. Uh, Model Airplane Maker from Mr. Chris Wallace has got a great blog and a great YouTube channel on Mostly Aircraft. The Inch High Guy, Jeff Groves, and his 72nd scale blog is always worth checking out, especially if you're into that scale, like you, Dave. Yep. Uh, Scale Canadian TV with Jim Bates and his uh, YouTube channel and uh, supporting blog. sometimes. Yep. And And
1: he's going to drop another episode soon.
0: All right. And finally, spruce Pie with Fretz with Stephen Lee, who is actually, we'll be hearing a little more from Stephen in our special segment. This is the moment in the podcast where I remind you to, if you're
1: not, join IPMS USA or IPMS Canada or your national IPMS chapter if you're not already a member. I've been greatly encouraged by the number of people who have emailed or Facebook messengered or or whatever to let me know that you've jo- joined or rejoined IPMS National in your your particular country. Uh, it's a great organization. Uh, they do a lot. We wouldn't have a national if it were, wasn't for IPMS USA. I, I highly encourage you to join. Uh, it leads to meeting new people. It leads to interacting on modeling. I, I can't recommend it enough.
0: I'll tell you, Scott at the Plastic Posse podcast uh, wanted to uh, extend a uh, good job to you on, on that front. He thinks you've probably moved the needle on the uh, IPMS uh, recruiting.
1: IPMS Canada seems to think that as well. They've they've had an uptick in membership, and uh, they're at least attributing it partly to, to that. So I'm happy if that's true.
0: Well, Dave, let's uh, take a break here and have a word from our sponsor. All right plastic model mojo is now brought to you by model paint solutions your source for harder steam back airbrushes david union power tools and laboratory grade mixing measuring and storage tools for use with all your model paints be they acrylic enamels or lacquers check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com It's us count down to vegas dave i know man my palms are starting to sweat it must be getting close Well, it is getting close. At the time of this recording, we are only 52 days away from from the IPMS National Convention in Las Vegas, Nevada.
1: I cannot wait to get to Lost Wages, man.
0: Man, it is uh, coming up fast. And I've got a little little note here from Bob. Bob Lomasaro, the convention chairman, tells us that... uh, they met with the Rio last Friday, and everything is going, going according to plan, and it's moving fast in all caps. So,
1: Oh, yeah. This is when it just picks up.
0: Uh, not a lot of news, only that the seminars will be posted on the convention website Thursday, July 1st. So that's this week. Yeah,
1: and I'm definitely going to go and look at those. Again, anybody who's, who's not been to a national and is planning on attending, don't sleep on the seminars go download when they post them, go download the list and figure out which ones you want to go to. They're free to go to as long as you, as long as you've paid your uh, entry fee or, or uh, admission fee to the show. Um, It's, it's a wonderful resource. Uh,
0: I says the pre-registration numbers continue to grow and come in strong and they could well see a record number of attendees. And addition, based on the projected attendance at, you know, and previous show averages, they're expecting a record number of models of, uh, you know, they're thinking they could cap 4,000. Jeez. And I believe it after having seen
1: Wonderfest and seen the indie show, there is clearly pent up demand. And I mean in it traditionally the shows out west phoenix uh, california uh shows out in the west coast have always been smaller shows cuz they're much harder to get to for folks in the more populated east coast and east central regions uh but las vegas i mean you can get there from everywhere on an airplane cheap and Uh, So it would not surprise me if this combination of things resulted in a national like we have never seen before.
0: He also says they've had to realign their conference rooms to create a a display only room to help make some extra space in the model room. So they're not, they're not taking taking any chances.
1: No, and they shouldn't, you know, our club uh, relocated our show this year because of the fact that, you know, in a normal year we're, we're pretty tight. And if we have a blowout year, we wouldn't have been able to host it where we normally host our show.
0: Oh, no way.
1: So, so uh, you know, I think that's smart of them to to be planning contingencies now.
0: Bob also says to continue to stress pre-registration. He says uh, that's the best way to avoid the lines and the lines are going to be long.
1: Oh, yeah, especially if they have record attendance. If they have record attendance, I don't care how good their system is. It's based on volunteers, and you only have so many volunteers. So you definitely don't want to try and register the day of the show if you can avoid it. If you can at all avoid it, go ahead, pre-register. I've done so. I've I've pre-registered. I bought both T-shirts. I cannot wait. So save yourself some time and do that.
0: Well, I've done it too. And it's a, it's a very avoidable situation for most folks. So I'd highly recommend avoiding it. Dave, well, that wraps up countdown to Vegas not many of those left. I know. I know. What will we
1: do? Maybe there'll be another model contest we can stick in there. I guess. Um, So so Mike, uh, what's your benchtop look
0: like? Has things been making progress? I've finally been able to get back on track and get some stuff done. Yay! It must, uh, hey, it must be contagious cuz I have to. Well, good. Good for you. We'll get to you in a minute. I I and I'm still building ammo boxes, but I've, I've I'm painting again. Uh I'm still painting weathered wood. I'm I'm working on the the revetment walls uh for my little revetment for this Zis-2 anti-tank gun, and that's kind of fun. I've been enjoying that. Mhm. Again, just loading up the wet palette with different tans and gray hued. You know, shift you shift some to gray, shift some to brown, and uh, just vary the planking, and then add a wash or two over that, and just get all kinds of cool colors.
1: Did the did the did those ammo crates have any stenciling on them? Uh,
0: they have decals for the stencils. Okay, so that's a that's a good point. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, I've never used Mini Arts decals before. I'd like to have a non-event with them, if you know what I mean. I know. Right now, in my since it's been so long since I've applied decals, I think I only have Microset and Microsol on hand right now at this moment.
1: Well, when you show up July 4th, in addition to whatever else I'm going to give you, regulators, etc., I have two bottles of Solvacet. I will be giving you one.
0: I, I used to use that religiously, but I haven't had a need for it in so long. Uh, well, you that's can only th- guess why. And I'm just curious if any of the listeners out there, you know, specific to many art decals, if there's one they've had good experience with, be it what I've already got, what you're going to give me or mark fit or yeah. something like that. I don't know. Well, the reason
1: I, that's the whole reason I asked is those, those ammo crates are textured, you know, they've got the simulated wood grain in them, yeah. which you've, which you've worked on and enhanced. So that is an area where, if the decals were not as cooperative you you might you might need some help, so yeah, I too am curious as to as to anybody's experience with those decals,
0: and again it's that's many arts decals right all right um uh, in addition to that, um, I've actually been plucking away at the the boton truck a little bit in CAD trying to learn my CAD system, uh, a little virtual modeling. Mm-hmm. how's uh, it going uh slow but uh i'm learning a lot it's all now, cool. is,
1: you're are you adapting to a brand new cad package because of your new employment
0: uh yes but it's not the one we're using at my new employment i'm trying to use uh autodesk fusion 360 okay so it's Any a reason uh it's it's free for hobbyists and oh. it, uh it is uh as close in methodology and function to a kind of an enterprise CAD system that you can get without having to pay hundreds of dollars if not thousands of dollars
1: um so what have you done on the uh, on the boton or what were you working on
0: uh, i'm trying to do the uh, the transfer cases for the all wheel drive suspension they're kind of complicated i think if i can get i really only have to do one because they're symmetrical top and bottom and there's well, four halves, two two transfer cases. Gotcha. So if, if that, that'll go a long way to getting something kind of complex on the thing done up front, and I get to learn the CAD package while I'm doing it. So, well, good. It's not so much it's a hard part to to draw. It's it's learning how to do it in that CAD package, and de- deciphering all the dimensions off the drawings. I got. <laughs>
1: I assume that all the all the dimensions on the drawings are metric.
0: They are, but there's only, um, uh, how to, how to describe them. It's not a fully dimension drawing. There's only like functional dimensions, like how high the tow hooks are off the ground and, uh, how far the, the, uh, he's got those wheels on the, behind the main front wheels to keep it from bellying out on uh, trenches and stuff. And how high that those wheels are off the ground with fully inflated tires on the other, that kind that sort of thing. Gotcha. So it, it's, it's, it's one tenth scale. So you can just take any other dimension right off the drawing by measuring it. So. Gotcha. Fun stuff. What have you been up <laughs> to?
1: Well, um, my, I've been making progress. Uh, as I said, uh, uh, I got the mosquito primed and then I got the under main underside color applied. Uh, just the other night I went back and did my first set of highlights on the underside, uh, you know, basically highlighting the the flying surfaces and clouding in some of the panels. Uh, one thing about a mosquito, since it was a wooden aircraft, there's not all these panel lines that you get with uh, with a, a normal uh, all-metal aircraft. So you you kind of have to be a little creative, but I'm enjoying it. Uh with only 52 days to the Nationals, I need to get my button gear because the theory was that all of us in the Mosquito Group build, we are all going to be in Las Vegas. So we're all supposed to bring our finished Mosquitoes, and I need to hop on and, and get moving if I'm going to be able to do that.
0: Should you get that done? Yes. How do how you plan on transporting that?
1: In a Tupperware container. Uh, with uh, styrofoam and toothpicks, uh, which I will hand carry through the airport and hand carry on the aircraft where it will sit with me for the entire three-hour flight from Louisville to Las Vegas.
0: Because I'm thinking about taking my little bofers.
1: Oh, you should. Absolutely. You're That would be so easy to transport. It's it's not a problem. The only place at which you have to be careful is going through uh, security. Is you you have to warn them ahead of time. Hey, this is a fragile model. You know, you pick up, you open the top and show them so that they don't pick it up, coming out the other end and start turning it over. Uh, but yeah, no, the Bofors would be easy to to transport since it's all secured to a base.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll think about it.
1: And so that's moving along and uh, making progress on it. But the problem that creates is everything I've got going right now is in the paint shop. Uh, The exception to that's the TU-128, but that's kind of a long-term build. So I don't have anything on the construction part of the bench and that's not good. Uh, I always like to have something on the construction side because sometimes either i don't have time to do painting or i'm not in the mood to do painting or whatever and again i don't want to force myself i don't want this to become a job it's supposed to be a hobby so i like to have that choice available to 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 do something else so something's going to fill the build space on my hobby on my hobby d- uh, desk fairly soon but i'm not sure what that's going to be is that it That's that's where I stand right now.
0: Well, we're making progress. We're not burning down the street, but uh, we are making progress. That's right, man. That's right. Well, since we've had this segment and it's been a little while, what's broken your wallet recently?
1: Well, uh, some interesting things. Let's hear it. Uh, I acquired from Jim Bates or from Doctor. Dr. Strangebrush through Jim Bates, the uh, clear prop a five M four Uh Now I have the Fujimi version of this kit, but uh, I didn't have the, have the new clear prop kit, which I was a little bit surprised at. Uh, so uh, since it's one of my more, I, I really like the looks of the aircraft. It's a very, very pretty, very attractive aircraft. We've, Jim and I placed an order with Dr. Strangebrush, got, uh, got the stuff, and then he shipped it to me. And uh, with it, he shipped me a bottle of AK flat white paint, which I needed to begin doing the chipping on the M30 artillery piece. So that can now start moving forward. I bought, uh, ICM has come out with, a series of 135th scale civil war weapons and i like the civil war i have a big interest in the civil war i would love to do some civil war figures although i simply don't think i've got the the physical ability to to do the kind of of work that I, I want to be able to do on, on figures of that size, but who knows, I might try anyway. But in any event, I picked up these 35th scale, uh, weapons for, uh, that ICM just came out with. Cause I, I want to do some of those just to do some, to practice, to, I think it would be a, a good skill builder. So I may do some of those. I've got an interest in them. So that's got me motivated to do it. Um, I also picked up some more color coats paints, uh, including, but not limited to, there's a lawyer, lawyer phrasing for you, uh, Flight Deck Stain 21, which is the uh, blue color that U.S. carriers stained on their flight decks early in 1942. And, uh, I've got a resin, uh, flight deck base, 72nd scale flight deck base that represents a U.S. carrier, uh, deck from world war two. And, uh, while I don't have any U S air, air carrier aircraft I'm planning on building in the near future, uh, it makes a nice little side project when I feel like doing something small and, uh, You know, I want to play with weathering the deck and chipping it and all of that stuff. So uh, I picked up that paint. So I've made a few purchases in the last, uh, in the last, since the last time we did this
0: segment. How about you? Today, my copy of T34 Shock showed up. Oh, it did? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's fast. Came DHL from the UK. Like, isn't that nice? Four days. Besides heavy, how is it? It uh, looks pretty good to me. I've not got into it too much yet. We had a busy evening after work, and uh, then we got into this. So uh, I'll get into it, and uh, I'll let you know. It's big, 500-something pages, a lot of cool pictures. Just uh, haven't haven't got into it yet.
1: Yeah. Well, I can't wait. I can't wait to see that. I'm, you know, the, the T-34, I'm an aircraft guy, but the T-34 holds a, a, an interest for me. It's just a neat-looking vehicle. And specifically with all the different subtle variations and varieties of it.
0: My other notable purchase in the last while is uh, I picked up an Atlantis kit at Wonderfest. You know, you got to buy something.
1: Oh, you know what? I forgot to. I I picked up a kit at Wonderfest, too. What was yours again? I can't remember. Red Iron, which is somewhere out of Europe. They did a one twenty, it's one twelfth or one twenty fourth scale Sputnik, a model of the first satellite ever launched into orbit, and so I picked that up at Wonderfest.
0: I forget what you picked up. I picked up a Atlantis. I guess it's an extra Aurora kit, probably. Maybe, yeah, maybe most- maybe somebody else. I can't remember, but it's a uh, it's a model of a space shuttlecraft concept uh that the Convair corporation you know published back in the 50s Mm
1: -hmm. yeah Uh, those were cool yeah there were so many neat things coming out in the 50s and early
0: 60s so in the 50s at Convair, there was a gentleman named croft erica uh who was an operation paperclip guy Mm -hmm. i got a feeling uh and he was a part of the department of astronautics at Convair. And this is one of his creations. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, a uh, booster launched returnable reusable, uh, shuttlecraft. Yeah. Kind of like the X 37 B sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just a lot more to it. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of interesting, you know, it's an old kit, so it's, it's got all the old kit kind of quirks and stuff, but, uh, you know, what scale is it really? And, uh, I, something different. I may get around to building it one of these days, but there's a couple of those. There's another one I want to get to from somebody else. I can't remember. Uh, it's another space station, but it's kind of uh, cool. You know, the,
1: the thing is you've proven with that air fix bofers that you can take those older kits and still produce really nice results with them by applying modern modeling methods. I mean, it's more work. There's no question that, that, because of the engineering technology of the time, uh, to bring it up to the standards that that you might want will take a little more effort. But clearly, you can you can take one of those older kits and produce a nice model.
0: Yes, you can if you want to do that.
1: Go for yep. it. Absolutely. Buy anything else? I think that I think that's it. It's been. I've been buying some things, but I've also been hoarding my money because the nationals <laughs> is
0: coming up. Well, that it is, and I think that's all I've picked up in a while as well.
1: Yep, I take an emba- I take and spend an embarrassing money amount of money at the nationals. Um, that's that's usually my big big spending arena for the year.
0: That in a swimming pool. <laughs> God, <laughs> please! You don't know. Well, are we ready for our special segment. I think so. I think so. Well, tonight's special segment is titled Sprue Pie a la Mojo. I like that. We have a conversation with Mr. Stephen Lee of Sprue Pie with Fretz. Stephen uh, has been a longtime uh, listener and kind of talking to us a lot on the back channels about modeling and podcasts and the industry as a whole. And he put this blog out there not too long ago and kind of dove in with both feet and really done a great job with his uh not just the writing, but the whole presentation and theme of his podcast or his, uh, his, his blog page, uh, looks pretty good for some guy that just, uh, came out of the chute swinging, man.
1: Yeah, Yep. Yeah. It was an interesting conversation. I think the listeners will enjoy it.
0: Well, I hope so. So we'll give him a chance right now. Let's enjoy this conversation with Mr. Steve Lee of Sprue Pie with Fretz. All right, Dave. Well, tonight we've got, uh, Stephen Lee joining us. How you doing, Steve.
2: I'm doing awesome. How are y'all doing?
0: Uh, we're good. I like that, y'all. That's not a, a word you use a lot, I imagine.
2: Uh, it comes up. I'm, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of partly in the south, not not completely, but partly in the south.
0: Well, uh, a little background. You've been a longtime listener, of Plastic Model Mojo, and we've had a lot of email exchanges yep. and a lot of uh, really thought out and well written emails. I thought, in my opinion, I forwarded a lot of those to Dave. Yeah. And, uh, just some good discussions about, uh, scale modeling and just some kind of not so much construction and painting kind of stuff, but, uh, the cerebral kind of, uh, where this is going and what's going on in in the hobby and that sort of thing. Sure. Uh, and then you told me about this blog you're going to create and asked my thoughts on it. And based on the writings you'd sent me, I thought you'd be great at it. And, uh, you kind of kicked this thing off and, uh, you just grabbed the bull by the horns and dove right in. I mean, your, your blog from the, from the moment you hit go, uh, had a lot of good content and the, the, your website was, was, uh, pretty stinking good. So thank you. I really
2: appreciate that.
1: Yeah. I wonder, I mean, you dove head first into the deep end and just started ripping content out there. And that made me wonder, we were just, started talking before we were recording. If you had a background in write, technical writing, writing of any sort, because your blog is really, really well written and well thought out, particularly when you do some of the deeper dive analysis stuff. And I, I just wondered if that was because you were, you wrote for a living.
2: Well, after a fashion, I wrote for a living. Uh, the, my, Professional life, like particularly here in Washington D.C. and, and post college, uh, was in the intelligence community. So I was an analyst for, you know, uh, most of a decade. I guess past a decade, if we count some time that I was doing those things as a, as a contractor, not as a government employee. But the thing I think people don't realize, if you're an intelligence analyst, is you're you're expected to write regularly, daily, all the time. You're either uh, you're either proposing a product or some kind of analysis or something like that, or you're actually writing one. So I think I got a lot of, a lot of like practical experience with that. But before even that, uh, I actually helped run the writing lab at, at Purdue Calumet, which is, you know, Purdue university is in Indiana, but they, yep. they have some like satellite campuses. And I was in the army too. You know, I was in the army before I ever went to college and, uh, I I don't know exactly where the writing comes from, but like right from the start, I started at at the university, uh, took English for whatever reason, became friendly with the professors. You know, I'd already been in the army, so I was like older than most of the other students. And, uh, the next thing you know, I was working in this writing lab tutoring and and ended up like kind of helping to run and administrate it and still tutored, ended up teaching English for a while. And then, um, you know, then I kind of made this transition into government after after grad school, and yeah, I was writing. It's kind of like being a lawyer or something. You have to write all the time.
1: Well, and that's uh, I was going to say. It it clearly shows that you you write a lot. Not only write a lot, but you're used to doing deep analysis of what you're writing because some of the some of your longer form blog posts uh, remind me very similarly of what Hale Hale Wallace does in really thinking deeply about aspects of the hobby. I think Hale did one recently on um on 3D printing and analogized it to just the cusp of windows 95. And then you chimed in with an analysis of his analysis.
2: And it was just,
1: <laughs> And it was just really a good exchange. It really changed the way I was thinking about 3d printing and its effect on our hobby.
2: Sure. No, he, that was a great article that he wrote and it was a great sort of analogy that he did, you know, making this, that, that comparison to, you know, back, back in the, in the olden days before, you know, before computers were really, really the, the, the household, you know, the very common item that they right. are today. And, and it was really enth- only enthusiasts who ever, whoever used them. And that and was some good, some, you know, some really good analysis. I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that article. And it's it's funny that I had kind of the, the skeleton of that article rattling around in my head, uh, you know, almost as soon as I read his. And in, because we were talking before we started recording about all the busy things in our lives, I haven't I just haven't been able to tend to the blog as as carefully as I'd like so it took me a while to write that that thing but I, I'd been having a lot of thoughts about 3d printing and as I indicated in what I wrote I, I have some experience using it for modeling not not military or aircraft modeling for railroad modeling but it, I think you know I, I think 3d printing is easily one of the most exciting things happening in the kind of at the manufacturing and production end of our hobby, you know, and, and then I think it has this interesting crossover into, you know, how we might all be using it as a tool. But I, I agree with, uh, you know, with that original post, it's like, I, I'm, I'm not sure it's ready for prime time yet, just because you pretty much need a engineering or a graphic design degree to even design a part. I mean, it can be done. I mean, I'm not, I, and, and I know that, you know, Will Pattison's out there doing it. And I, I I think Mike, you, you've tinkered with some 3d design and it'll come, but it's not, well, we both have
0: engineering degrees too.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So you're, yeah. I mean, you've got, you've got the kind of the vocabulary and the, the kind of knowledge base for it, but is, is time and space were warped and, and all of a sudden, this were a technology available to Shep Payne. Now nah, I doubt he'd be using it. It's not, you know, it, it, there's not enough art involved. <laughs> you know, it's too much, there's too much numbers and stuff.
0: Interesting. Well, I think, uh, I, I I'm just starting to dabble in it. You know, I, I just, uh, the, the big, the big hurdle, I think you're, you're right is, uh, is kind of the, I'll, I'll back away from the engineering moniker of it, but just the, the technology of the CAD, uh, you don't need an engineering degree to use CAD. I think CAD may intimidate a lot of people. Right. Uh, and, I think one problem with it has been that uh well, let me back up again and and say, a- as an engineer, I've always used enterprise CAD packages, right, which are a lot better and a lot easier to use, even though some of them are better than others. They are categorically better to use than any of the cheap you know free or otherwise, free up to you know a few hundred dollars, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, 3D kind of CAD packages. They they just are. They're just so much better. And it, it's... Using those is a lot easier than using those cheap ones. And the cheap right. ones that a lot of people get into is the reason they stop using them because they're just flat, terrible. They're awful. They're just very hard to use, not intuitive. Whereas you get an enterprise package, uh, it makes a lot more sense and things are a lot more systematic and easy to use. Uh, that was all true until... Um, Fusion 360 came out, which I'm starting to dabble with now, uh, it has a lot of the same features that an enterprise CAD package would have. Not everything, but I think probably enough to do a very high percentage of what most scale modelers would want to do. You know, I, I'm biased because I've had some training. I've, I've used two or three different enterprise packages, so I know kind of know what to expect. But it's really, really not that hard. And I think uh, I think that, that door is going to start to open for more
2: people, uh, yes. I think. Well, it are, it already did when uh, when the the resin printers came down in price as much as as they did because when we were using the uh, you know the the filament based printers like yeah you could make things like whistles you know and and, right, and yeah. dog toys or something with it but you know the, the the resolution wasn't there and the minute you started making things tiny which by definition all model stuff is it 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 looked horrific you know it looked like. It looked like a relief map of a, you know, of a <laughs>
0: of, the of a, yeah.
2: <laughs> a tow pintle or a, uh, you know, a, a machine gun mount or something like that. And yeah, it looked terrific it I, And I, I've got the stuff to, I mean, the, the products to prove it. I've did a bunch of railroad models that were produced in, with some of those techniques. And that's, that's, I think that was my first introduction or one of my early introductions to the the heavy grit, you know, what is it? The 500 level. Uh, Mr. Surfacer, yeah. you know, to, to just start filling in, <laughs> filling in these valleys that just were appearing all over the parts, and then of course you sand off a bunch of detail, and it's a, it's a pretty quick, it's a losing battle.
0: That is true.
1: What other stuff's rattling around in your head that you're thinking about writing a post on? I want to know what besides 3D printing you've been thinking about.
2: Sure. Well, one of the things. That's kind of an obsession of mine, and if you've, you know, and and you can kind of go back to letters I've written you guys, and then posts I've written. One of my one of my little obsessions is is kind of like the the media and the magazines and stuff around Mm -hmm. uh, around uh, the modeling hobbies and like the leading role that they play, and and I'll just a little kind of a little war story. And you guys have talked about your your early formative modeling experiences as like children in different magazines that you read and saw even as kids and, and you know, and, and even Mike's, uh, his, you know, his Airfix Bofors build and all, all of that stuff. I mean, I've, I've kind of had very similar experiences. And the way I grew up, um, I was really the only kid in the family that was really into models in a big way. And, you know, the kind of the temperament of my family was it was, it was not really a, that legitimate an activity. You know, it wasn't it wasn't manly enough, you know, and it didn't make you sweat enough. Uh, So there thus it could not possibly be that character building of an experience. So, you know, maybe you should be more interested in in sports or 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 gardening or, you know, or something like that. But as a result, like my main connection to a lot of uh, a lot of the hobbies, like model railroading and model building was was, you know, through the books and magazines. And they were they were really kind of formative experiences for me. And when I said that I, you know, where did the writing come from? And, you know, how is it that I ended up doing that? I I have to say, I think the editorial shop at, at Kalmbach, you know, who, who publishes Fine Scale Modeler and then publishes Model Reorder probably had a lot more to do with forming my, my ability to like write and to, you know, to tell a technical story. It probably had more to do with anything else. I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to admit it, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't my teachers. It wasn't anything else. So these magazines anyways, uh, and, and the media around it have always been kind of an object of, of fascination of mine. And, you know, something else we, we haven't mentioned is I have another blog on that's on model railroading because I, I also, I also do a lot of model railroading as well. And that was kind of like, maybe I would call it almost like the warm up to, to doing sprue Pie with Frats. And I had very similar sorts of posts, but, um, uh, I, in there, in, in that blog, I would I thought a lot about what what the media of our hobby says and does, and is it is it doing as good a job? And that was actually, I think, one of my earliest uh, posts on Sprew Pie with Frats was you know was was uh, you know a, a piece about fine scale modeler and like some of their editorial choices and editorial positions on things, and and you know do they report news or, or not? So that's always rattling around in my head. Um, I'm kind of extended that a little bit to thinking about what all what what the podcasts you know yours, the Posse, uh, the Geeks, Scale Model Podcast, and and on the bench. What what do they all mean? But also, what do the Facebook groups and all that kind of stuff mean? And that's always kind of turning around in my head. You know, like how you know how is that impacting things? And I have to say for example, that I've heard more about the national convention and it's like more in my consciousness, the, the, the upcoming national convention because of you guys. And not just because you, this podcast, but the other podcast, cause they, they give it a, you know, they give it a good solid plug every, every time they talk about it. And I've, I've been to a nationals. It's always, it's been one of those things. It's just hard to schedule with the kinds of work and family obligations and stuff that I have. But I, I think it's, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what the attendance at this thing is like, and I I think the the attention it's gotten on social media, uh, including the podcasts, including the YouTube channels, including the Facebook groups, has, is going to have a lot to do with that. And I think that's that's all exciting and very interesting. So I'll, I tend to write things about that a lot.
1: Two questions: one, what was the last national you attended?
2: Because <laughs> um, I've been to a lot of them, so. I was at one at St. Louis. Oh, uh, that was 91. There you
1: go. That is the convention where Mike got his nickname, Mr. Goons.
2: Mr. Goons. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I was actually there as a as a vendor, uh, believe it or not. Really? Um, yes. So, 91, I was working my way through college, and I had a job at a place called Don's Hobby World in Glenwood, Illinois. Yeah. And Don dispatched uh, me and one of the other guys in the hobby shop, uh, David Nickus to go down to St. Louis and set up a table. And
1: I, I might've bought something from you.
2: Well, how about that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Cause I was there. I was at that one. So was Mike. So was a lot of our, uh, wow. our club. Second question. I wanted to ask you, what effect did you, did it have on you when you saw your first fine scale modeler way back in the day when it, Initially started because it was it was a rev- revelatory jump in modeling modeling writing quality in my opinion and those early fine scales to me were just super inspirational.
2: Oh, ab- absolutely! I, I did my my mind was was blown. Like I just remember thinking, "Holy, holy smokes!" I mean, I was really familiar with the Challenge publications, yeah. uh, a military modeler, and I think there was scale modeler, or scale aircraft modeler. I can't remember exactly. Scale what it modeling
1: was. was the other yeah. challenge.
2: And I, you know, I, I would pick up copies of that, and, and I, I, I just could never find a steady supply of those. You know, like they were not always in the hobby shop, or they were not always in the bookstore or anything like that. I was, fam- you know, as I indicated, I was super familiar with fine scales you know, model railroad's sister publication, model railroader. And when I learned that like these, you know, the, the people behind that magazine and actually one of the like principal editors, a guy named Bob Hayden um, was going to have this other magazine uh, just about plastic model building. I, yeah, I was, I was, I was flabbergasted. I thought it was like the, the coolest thing ever. And I happened to be in the army in Germany when, when that all came out. And I remember like, getting copies of it was tough. Yes. Like, you know, uh, sometimes the stars and stripe bookstore had it. Sometimes they didn't. Sometimes the German, believe it or not, the German bookstores would have it. And, you know, I paid like the equivalent of like 10 or $15 in like mid-1980 for it. <laughs> and thinking this thing is the bomb. And then I remember coming back, getting out of the army, coming back from Germany. And I found a stack of them, for sale used in one of the hobby shops in Chicago. And I bought them all. Like I just, I bought a, like every one that had been printed basically up to that month and whatever it was in 89 or something like that. And, and read them all, you know, oh, and yeah, dog, dog- eared them all. They were, they were, it was, it was awesome. It was great modeling, great presentation, great writing. It was, it was a, 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 a big step up, I think.
1: Oh yeah, it was. It was. It was quantum leap up from the from the challenge publications. Speaking of, you talked about a little bit about your editor or your post on modeling publications, and are they reviewing? Are they promoting? Are they advertising? Expand. Not everybody who's listening to this has probably read that post. Expand a little bit on what your thesis was there.
2: Well, I'm I'm trying to remember exactly back to that post. I mean, the, so the the hook there was somebody had written a letter to the editor to FineScale scale modeler and said, Hey, aren't you guys going to ever report on, on news? And in particular, haven't you noticed that wingnut wings and testers both folded in the last 12 months? And that means our hobby is dying. And aren't you going to report on that? And uh, that, I mean, I, I found that an interesting letter, and I, I agree. I mean, why why do we not hear more reporting um, about the industry? Like, so what happened with Wingnut Wings? And, and actually, we have a pretty good idea what happened with Wingnut Wings, but we know it because we know it because of podcasts and Facebook posts. We don't yeah. we don't we don't know it because a reporter or a writer, you know, did the legwork, made the calls, wrote the emails, had the facts checked, or or any of that stuff. We know about it because. Basically, the the details of it kind of emerged, you know, out of the out of the primordial ooze of of social media, not not because it was reported. And, you know, there that's that's kind of the on the one hand, like maybe fine scale modeler and maybe the other magazine should report the news more. On the other hand, it's it's a small community, you know, and it's not as if a distributor or a manufacturer or even an individual modeler, you know, could easily have their like their feelings hurt. And it could ha- it could have repercussions if if, you know, an unflattering story came out or and the, the repercussions are things like, well, advertising is going to get cut off at fine scale modeler. And of course, they rely on on advertising. They They don't you know, they make hardly any money off of selling copies of the magazine. They they make all their money selling an ad to to dragon models or to Tamiya mia or whoever you know who you know whoever's got like the, particularly the big ads on the on the back and all that stuff so that kind of raises the question like so these reviews that appear in here and the articles that appear in there you know how um you know how objective are they how useful are they how critical are they ever really going to be and that's a uh, I think that's a kind of a built-in problem of hobby magazines or a, a built in and I and I don't want to say it's a problem so much as it's an expectation. That it's a you should feature. Have. Yeah. And it is, you know, they are there. And I mean, and, and to you know, I can see pretty much all the sides of this or both sides. I'm sympathetic to them all. They're not just there to like report news about the hobby. They're also there to promote the hobby. They're there to kind of flog it and make it interesting and get people excited about modeling. Are you, are you going to do that by reporting bad news? No. Are you, um, are you going to get the cooperation of these exciting manufacturers of kits and supplies? If you say, Oh, you know, brand X or brand Y of weathering uh, stuff is, you know, is awful. It won't work. It, it, you know, you'll never get the effect you really want or that primer will never dry or anything like that. And by the way, we know that there's a couple of brands of primer out there that won't dry, but we don't know that from the magazines. We know that from reading, Facebook forums and, and, and bulletin boards and things like that. So there's a, there's this like a tension, you know, if you will, like between are they providing news and providing a service to modelers or, um, and occasionally maybe steering people off of products that aren't that great or away from a kit that's not that great. Well, they don't really forthrightly say like, Oh yes, this, you know, this particular, you know, this particular kit didn't fit at all. You know, you will, you will maybe see some oblique reference to, well, it's got fit problems or (laughs) or something like that. But if you want the real skinny, you know, go, go read about it online somewhere, go see what somebody in Reddit or Facebook said about it.
1: Yeah. And, and I I agree with you. Uh, The one downside I think of social media from that standpoint, I agree with you. It gives you much more honest reviews in, in the whole yeah. But by the same token, my problem with social media has been the the people who have come to internalize the fact that they can get clicks by being rage monsters. Oh, this is the worst kit ever. It's fatally flawed. It You know, the, the thing that drives me up a wall, some uh company will release the three D CAD renders of an upcoming kit, and invariably, somebody out there on the internet, on social media, Facebook forums, wherever, will declare the kit a complete pile of dog do, based on some three D renders that that aren't even the fire sure. you know aren't even aren't even sprue shots. I mean, you'll also get that same reaction from sprue shots before anybody's ever put a kit together. And it just, the. while I think you do get more honesty out of so, social media, I do think the downside is you also get that built-in bias toward being sensational. Yeah. Whereas Shock jock. Right. In the print media, it's the exact opposite. They're soft peddling everything because they've got business interests involved. The folks on social media, like Mike just said, shock jock. They want attention. They're, that's what they're getting out of this whole thing. So it's they're, they're inclined to be more shocking to say the, the, the controversial
2: thing. Sure. And, um, actually it's funny that you mentioned this because I was recently accused with a post of having deliberately controversial opinions just to get clicks. And it's like, dudes, if I was doing this for the clicks, <laughs> I'd be pandering a lot more.
0: <laughs> was we, this the whole, uh, yawn you gave, uh, knocked out tanks and derelicts?
2: Yeah. 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 That's that's yeah. And, and it's like, well, obviously, you know, you know, this is you're just saying things to you know you're you're just trying to be shocking and you're trying to get clicks with with with, with this kind of thing so and that you know David I thought you were going to go in a in a somewhat different direction
1: well go there
2: it, but it's a it's this it's kind of the same topic and it's and that's that's the what I would just call the general topic of or the the general phenomenon and this isn't this is not our modeling community alone's issue it's it in in fact some would say it's like this pathology of social media and the internet, but it is kind of like impoliteness, you know, it kind of starts with impoliteness, but I think as an attorney, you will appreciate, you know, kind of what I would just kind of call argument, you know, argumentation and bad faith. Yes. You know, in other words, taking, taking the ad hominem, you know, the attack against the person, not the attack against the, the opinion or the view or the the viewpoint or something like that. Like you just think that because you're old or you just think that because you're IPMS or, you know, which is funny. Um, yeah, I've been to one IPMS national and I just confessed to you that it was like over 30 years ago and, uh, or exactly 30 years ago. And, you know, and I, okay, I am, I am a little old. I mean, I'll, 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 I'll fess up to that, but that's not the reason I wrote it is because I'm old, or I'm just doing it because of the clicks and, and, and other kinds of forms of, of like, like I said, bad faith argumentation. Like you just said, you think there's a conspiracy theory? Like, no, I don't. I I, I never actually used the word conspiracy theory, but I do think that the editors of these magazines and leading social media people, they set a tone, they set a pace, people follow. And, you know, if a particular kind of weathering or a particular style of modeling is promoted, then it, it, it does become popular and it is followed a lot. And that doesn't make modeling a whole lot different than a whole lot of other things. You know, because someone online or, or the editors of a magazine will take a particular direction or focus on a particular thing, and it, and it will, as a result, catch fire. I think, actually, you mentioned, you know, those early fine-scale modelers probably had a lot to do with some of the things that came immediately after, which were uh, a lot of aftermarket products. Yeah, I mean,
1: Verlinden, I, I re- VLS, all of that yes,
2: stuff. Yes, Verlinden, On The Mark, you know, all of, you know, this, uh, a whole... Uh, sort of crop of aftermarket products. I mean, and I can, there was a time when there really weren't aftermarket products any, yep. anywhere in scale modeling. You, you built it and you might've read Shep Payne's book and he told you how to do creative gizmology, which means rating other model kits and and model train parts to like make the inside of your tiger tank or your whatever. But um but all of this, you know, that's and that's to me is what's so interesting about, you know, the magazines and the kind of the, the, the flagship institutions, you know, the media. You know, I'm kind of making square, scare quotes, you know, not just the print media, but everything around uh, around our models. It, it all has an impact. And if it gets popular, then people all start doing it a certain way. You know, that's that's what how did we get the Spanish school? For example? That's
1: exactly how we got the Spanish
2: school. Right.
1: Well, you'd said something there that, that triggered something in me that you're talking about the impoliteness on social media, that, that people are very, very quick to go to the ad hominem attack, to, to say things that they would never say to you face to face. Right. That is one of the three, one of the many, many benefits of attending scale model conventions going to local and regional contests because you see these people that you only interact with on the internet. And knowing that you may see these people, I think can act as a little bit of a break on that tendency, that social media tendency to just snap off a quick put down or snap off a a a witty put down, and that's one of the reasons I encourage people to go to contests and to see and interact with these people that they both only otherwise interacted with online.
2: Right? No, I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly that I think yes, I mean we should all we should all be kind, but we tend to you know it, it, that tends to be easier in person uh, than it is you know with with some distance.
0: We we were talking about potential things to discuss in this conversation, and uh, you did mention the our model railroading parallel. I don't want to sure. go too far down, turn this into a model railroading podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> what what were your thoughts about that?
2: Well, um, I I find you know there's there, there's some kind of interesting compare and contrast between kind of like the the cultures and attitudes around model railroading versus. Versus scale modeling. Um, One of the things that I, you know, you're, you're an engineer and I think in, in large measure model railroaders, you know, have this kind of engineering um, sort of orientation to the world. Um, And even like, for example, how they paint things. And I think in model railroading, for example, you know, we've, we've, we've had our, I, I know you've all discussed it and we've all had our discussions about, you know, what's 4BO green? What was Panzer yellow? Um, what is, you know, what is cark tan? Um, what is, you know, what is the color of a F-22 Raptor really? Or what's the, you know, is it glossy? Is it semi-gloss? Is it kind of metallic? What is it? And, you know, model railroaders are kind of funny because they, they wring their hands over that even more. And they, oh, they, no tend doubt. Be, they tend to be more of the, the color chip uh, types of uh, have the color chip type of approach to it. Like, well, that's that that shade of red is absolutely wrong for the Sioux line or, or that shade of, um, you know, green or very. And it's like extremely dark green is wrong or right for Pennsylvania Railroad or something like that. So I always find I, I find it liberating and kind of refreshing to be able to take some of the things that we know from, from kind of like the plastic modeling body of knowledge where, you know, is it really that important? Exactly what four B O green, like if you're, are you matching the chip um, or are, you know, or or Panzer yellow or something like that. Um, and to be able to kind of take that and translate that into the model railroad world and say, well, I, I'm not really, you know, I, I think that's a dark enough green for that Pennsylvania railroad GG one or whatever, but it's, it's, it's it's liberating and i i have found that it's it like enhanced my my model railroading to to know like a lot of weathering techniques and and that sort of thing but i think the other thing and i think very early on i was i i kidded you mike about hey you're using a model railroad tool <laughs> for, for oh, this and yeah. that thing and I'll, <laughs> I'll even say i've seen i've caught uh, i've seen pictures or caught will patterson using model using things that i would always think of model railroaders using Um, to, to build models. And I think there's a lot of interesting cross-pollination that can, um, that can go on between, you know, between the the two hobbies.
0: Well, along the lines, especially the color, I think you're right. And, and just to back up a little bit, uh, I, I came back to model railroading after being in military modeling for a long time. So I kind of can relate to what you're saying about, uh, approaching some of the, the, the modeling, uh, and painting from, from coming from that direction as, as opposed to the more traditional model railroad direction. Uh, the thing about color I would, I would say is um, I don't know if, if you're aware or uh, the listeners may not care, but um, my, my modeling interest based on the geography I was raised in is the Clinchfield railroad, which is a, uh, was like the last class one railroad built in the United States. It ran from Elkhorn city, Kentucky down to Spartanburg, South Carolina. So not even 300 mm-hmm. miles. Uh, but they had a very beautiful yellow and gray paint scheme uh, prior to the 1970s. It was often dirty because of all the coal they were hauling, but it was a nice scheme. And in in this was back during the Yahoo Groups kind of era of the internet. Yeah. And it was arguing, oh, that that color yellow is wrong. That color yellow is wrong. You know, this, it should be this. It should be this. And they're like, well, what do you use, Mike? I was like, it doesn't matter. Well, why doesn't it matter? The The yellow you need to be using is the one that matches that microscale decal set you're using after you yes. apply it to the gray <laughs> undercoat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because if they don't match, it looks stupid,
0: right? Because they're supposed to be the same color.
2: Yes. Well, one of the, one of the things that I think plastic modeling is... Has that's I would say an advantage, and, and now we're talking about the culture of around each hobby is that the on-ramp for plastic modeling is much more welcoming. Um, I mean, a part of that's a function of what it you know, like if you want to build an M one M one tank, like I, have anybody told me that I'd say I got a thing for you. You need to go out and find Tamiya's one forty eight M one A M one A two kit and build it. It's freaking awesome, and here's you know, you can get away with painting it with one color. Uh, you could, you'll do just fine brush painting the details and you're going to have a handsome model that you like, and you're going to have fun building it. And you're, and at the end of that, you're going to have the, the achievement of what you do when you build a model, which is a finished model. That may sound stupid, but in model railroading, the, the, the achievement often is like the whole train layout. And, um, if, if you think there's a, there's anxiety in plastic modeling about the hobby dying because You know, people seem like they're so old and, you know, the market, you know, there's these moments of the market declining and all that kind of stuff and companies closing and so forth. I mean, it's all, all of that is a million times worse in, in model railroading. And part of the, I would say part of the challenge on model railroading is how do you start doing it without spending a thousand dollars or, you know, multi thousands of dollars to to have anything to kind of show for it. Yeah. You can build a, a model locomotive or box car or, you know, a trestle bridge or a station or something like that. But um, the on-ramp on model railroading is, is steep and, 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 unwelcoming. And I think model railroading would do, I, I would cha- kind of challenge, mo- the, you know, the elite and the, the kind of the model railroad industrial complex to like, look at what happens in plastic modeling and, and find out what those on-ramps are. and, you know, and frankly, this podcast and the social media is, is part of that, that on ramp. You know, like you can listen and you can start hearing about it and you can kind of join the club, um, the, the metaphorical club, you know, right off just by, by doing some of those things. And then you can get connected to IPMS and you could start, you know, seeing and learning techniques for yourself and all that stuff. And I, I feel a little bit like if, if a young person, if a 15 year old kid came up to me and said, I'm really interested in model railroading. how do I start? It's like, I don't even know where to begin, you know, like find $10,000 in a, in a gutter somewhere (laughs) like that would, that would be awesome. I mean, it's a great hobby. It's got like such a reputation and a story behind it of, you know, families and Lionel trains and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But um, it's, it's, it's a, it's tough it's tough to get started in it. And I, but I think we have, you know, Bandai star Wars kits, awesome, yeah. you know, and that's probably done more to boost, you know, that initial experience for plastic modelers than probably anything else that I can think of. Um, so awesome. And, yeah, then and, I th- I, and the community is welcoming too.
1: and And that's a point that I've made a couple of times here and there is that, the kits in the last 15 years have become so technically perfect, to, to put quotes around it. The engineering is so much better compared to an old frog kit or an old matchbox kit or an old airfix kit from way, way back when. That if you're new to the hobby and you come in and you get the Bandai Star Wars kit, because you're a Star Wars fan, the experience you're going to have when you put that kit together is so much better today than somebody starting in the hobby 20 years ago. Because the kit's going to fit so much better. It's going to look so just out of the box. It's going to look so much better. And you're going to be more satisfied when you're done. And there's nothing that will get you to buy another model kit than finishing a model kit and being happy with the result.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Then you're going to go to a model show and buy some old kit you didn't know was so old.
1: <laughs> well, hopefully <laughs> hopefully that it, hopefully that doesn't happen.
2: Yeah, and the, the decals are dried up and they just they <laughs> they they explode as soon as they touch the water. Yeah, that's
1: <laughs> Now, do, Stephen, do you uh, do you are you in a local chapter?
2: Uh, yes. The short answer to that is yes. I'm, uh, I'm a fairly regular attender of IPMS DC, which is yep. like the the, the the DC group. I'm yep. an occasional attender of AMPS DC. Yeah. Um, and then I'm also affiliated with a group out in Delaware called uh, the Delmarva Marvels. That's an IPMS group as well. Mm-hmm. And But I can tell you, I've never met face-to-face with those guys just because the, the whole time that I've known them has been in the, in the time of COVID, but I've been welcomed in. I'm on all of their long text chains. We're always, you know, sending, they're always, always seeing the progress of other people in that Delmarva Marva group. So it's, it's not face-to-face contact, but it is pretty personal because it's, it's happening on, on text. I mean, it's not happening on social media or, or, or any of that. I mean, it's it's still not the same thing as face-to-face, but, that goes on. So yes, those are those are my affiliations. And back in the day, um, when I when I worked at Don's Hobby World, I was just by dint of us, our hobby shop was just immersed with the IPMS there in the in the South suburbs of Chicago.
1: Yeah, uh, Mike. Mike and I were just conversing the other day about the latest issue of Boresight, the the Amps National magazine, mm-hmm. and what a particularly good issue it was.
2: Yeah, I, I haven't seen that one yet. But uh, what was what was remarkable about it? What did you uh, What did you like in it?
0: Uh, well, it was a in its entirety, front to back, is all these World War One armored car kits. Wow! And the uh, the build quality of most of the builds in the magazine are are above what I think has been represented in, in Boresight on average. I don't want a slight Borsite that you get contributions that they get uh but for, for some reason th- this particular issue is is pretty damn good in my opinion
2: oh i'll have to be on the lookout for that yeah
0: you should it's it's uh it's pretty good i, I liked it a lot I'm, I'm still going through it because uh I, i'm trying to stay out of that rabbit hole but I, I don't know how successful i'm gonna
2: be oh the, the world war one <laughs> oh yeah I mean, and that's a great example by the way you know le- lest anyone you know uh, say that you know that we're we we do not have influencers or we don't you know that that there's there's not some steering you know i'm not saying there's a conspiracy or anything like that of our hobby but you know uh copper state starts yes. starts pouring the love on that they and they pour wing not wings level of love on it and the next thing you know there's a constituency for it like yep. did did anyone know before that there would be such you know, such affection for, uh, for world war one armored cars, you know, that's, that's pretty niche. Um, but it turns out, you know, you make some good kits of it and all of a sudden people are going to love it. They're going to start showing up at contests. They're going to, there sounds like you just, you just said there was a whole magazine full of them. I mean, it, it is not because, you know, it's not like we're in some, you know, market economics paradise where, the manufacturers have read the you know have magically read the minds of the consumers and know exactly what they make <laughs> and 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 demand is matched up perfectly to supply it's there's you know there are influences that happen and somebody makes good kits and all of a sudden it's going to be a thing i mean i think Tamiya's 4A into 148 armor is like a good another good example yeah. did anybody think we was there like a burning hot desire for that before no but once they started making them. Everybody realized they needed them, <laughs> so yeah. so that became a thing.
1: Well, and and nothing succeeds like success. Copper State does one or two of those armored cars. They 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 sell like hotcakes. Everybody looks to the to to that market, and they all want to get a piece of it because they didn't realize that market existed fifteen minutes ago. Right. By the same token, Wingnut Wings folds down. And having established that there is a really good market for 32nd scale World War One aircraft, all of those other folks in the space flood in to fill the void with again Copper Copper State, Roden getting back into it, and and other manufacturers coming in
2: to fill
1: that void.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean and you know, I, I think you can you can go down a similar sort of analogy with finishing products, you know. Yeah. Like and, and I mean and there is there is kind of a, a chicken and egg story there. I mean, of course, you know, the Spanish school, you know, flogging it in different publications and stuff like that. Well, that's that's ultimately gonna redound to you know, to Vallejos and AK's and, and you know, all of those companies that happen to be in Spain. happen to be run. I mean, it's all, it's, it's not a bad thing. You know, it's not a, and it's not, it doesn't mean we're, we're, you know, we're dopes or idiots or suckers or chumps or something. That's not what it means. It just means this, this is where it comes from. And, you know, it, it wouldn't hurt to acknowledge it and, you know, and, and to, you know, have perhaps even a little humility about it. Like we build the kits that are made for us. You know, that's, that's not, that's not, I don't think that's that far out or weird to say, but it's true. And you know understanding a little bit about how that works to me very interesting I think uh, at least some of the readers seem to <laughs> seem to seem to enjoy it and 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 think about it that way too
1: well oh, and I'm I'm fascinated by some of the business back end of the hobby industry like yeah. all of a sudden five years ago paint lines exploded Now when you enter into the hobby you get your own paint line. I mean, it yeah. seems, seems like, you know, like everybody in Texas, when they're born, they get an oil well. Every, yeah. <laughs> every modeler who comes into the hobby gets their own paint line. Now, something clearly happened in the back end of the business that suddenly made having your own paint line much cheaper as a ent- the entry cost into having your own paint line became much cheaper. And I have no idea what it was, but clearly something's happened. And I would love to know from an industry perspective what that was.
2: Yeah, I I certainly would be very curious to know that. And I mean, I, I, and I, I suspect there's, I suspect one of the things going on there and Mike, you may have some insight into this, but at the at the level of like manufacturing and logistics and all that kind of stuff, I know that there have been significant changes in regulation about, you know, how, what kind of chemicals can be used for, for what purposes and how they can be transported and that kind of thing. And I suspect that's an ingredient of, you know, of, of the mix of factors there, but I also suspect there's a whole thing. And this is, you know, one of the things when when you hear you know particularly that the hobby is dying, uh, kind <laughs> yeah. of you know proclamations. I think one of the things people are actually interpreting is the is the the globalization of the hobby, the the internationalization of the hobby. So I think one of the things that's also going on there is that where you know when it was testers and Patra and Floquil, you know, making that had like the whole market for all hobby paint at one point. Um, you know, it was all a very US centric uh, business model, you know, that's where it all came from. And then a a couple of regions like, you know, the Great Britain had Humbrol. Um, But I think the idea that it's more, more countries for a variety of of reasons, like trade rules and, and the expansion of technology, more, more countries and more, there's just more opportunity to go into business. So, you know, it's, it's, it's natural that, you know, I guess there's a, there's a brand of paint called Akan or Akan. Yep. it's made in Russia. Okay. They have a petrochemical industry in Russia. Like some, so some guys, you know, decided to start making hobby paint, you know, so that's, that's what they did. And from what I understand in Spain, it's a, you know, it, there's a, there's an art supply industry that kind of branched into this. And, and it, I think the, the fact that, that, Manufacturing is more possible in more places in the world. Is what I think is is one of the key factors of what's giving us this. And and, and yes, anybody who wants to, you know, can can seemingly come up with their own line of paint. When are, when are you, when is the uh, the plastic model mojo line of <laughs> of dry brushing colors going to come out? By the way, oh,
0: oh no. <laughs> That, that <laughs> had to go that, dry brush. <laughs> yes, that,
1: that, that made Mike and I both laugh because when when uh, AK and MIG Ammo and all of that started, dry brushing was the thing they were going away from. Correct. And to see it come full circle around where they're releasing their own l- line of dry brushing paints, I mean, was just. There's nothing it, left
2: to do. Yeah,
1: really. We've we've circled all the way back around.
2: Wow. Well, you know, it's funny is that, you know, one of the things that's funny to me, and this is, you know, this kind of gets you into the the territory of like, you know, supporting the hobby industry versus supporting the hobby and technique and so forth. You know, if you wanted to dry brush acrylics, you could walk into pretty much any Michaels or uh, Hobby Lobby and put your hands right on some acrylic paint yeah. in a tube and you could, you could have, you could have done that already. <laughs> you know? And, and, and I, I, I realize there's some smart marketing around the idea of like, well, I don't, you know, people don't want to necessarily walk into an art supply store or they're not going to make the extra stop. Or if you, if you have it there on the, 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 in the paint department of a hobby shop, they're more likely to buy it than, than go over to the hobby shop. But it's, it is it is interesting to me that so many of these products seem to be kind of repurposed. From oh, the yeah, there, there, yeah. There
1: is no question that uh, uh, particularly AK and Mig Ammo are, uh, are experts in that arena, taking something that already exists and simply repackaging it selling it in in hobby shops instead of Michaels or Hobby Lobby or whatever and turning it into a modeling product as opposed to an art product. Right. They found a good business model doing that.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm tiling 502 502 oil paints. Yep. What a what, pure genius, you know, yes. in terms of but you know, you could you could also, you know, go and look at you know a variety of windsor and newton and a whole bunch of other uh products and you're going to get something that is awfully similar if yep. not if not the same thing
1: and may come out of the same plants i mean
2: yeah i I, yes. I
1: i would not be shocked if that were the case i don't know it to be the case but i would not be shocked were it were it to turn out to be that case
0: right all right we need we need another topic one more <laughs> <laughs> Steven, what do you got?
1: Steve, what's your pet peeve? What's your modeling pet peeve?
2: Destroyed tanks.
1: Because it's always it's always easy to 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 talk for ten minutes about your modeling pet peeve.
2: I, I I'm already on the record about uh, burnt up tanks, <laughs> but and and by the way, part of the reason a burnt up tank is not funny to me is because I used to be I used to be on tanks in the army, and it and a burnt up tank is is a tragedy. I mean, it's. It's, it's kind of awful. <laughs> so yeah. I, at some level I'm, I, I see it and I'm like imagining the smell of it and I'm imagining just like, like, Oh my God, you know, what a, what a, what a bad day that was for that crew. And I mean, even if they got out of it.
0: Well, if you're willing, let's, I don't want to talk about the, the controversy of the article right? so much as, or, or the, I don't know what the morality or the, or whatever of, of, you know, what you just said, right. Of what, what that might represent. Um, because I've got a little bit of an ax to grind, not with you, but with the, with the topic of derelict tanks, burned out, destroyed tanks in their context. I, I got no problem with some of them are phenomenal. We see a lot of them, but I think some of them are really brilliant. Um, in fact, there was one in fine scale, uh, uh, a young guy built it. I can't remember his name, but it was in a large scale It's from a very famous photograph of a Panzer four where the whole thing's erupted. And then the hull's sitting sideways uh, on the lower chassis. You may remember that. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, I'm not going to say what the model was because uh, the person may be out there listening. I, I don't want to offend them because it was, it was a fine model. Uh, but uh, b- before my little hiatus from the hobby, uh, there, there are, two instances at, at, at amps nationals that, uh, well, one of them led to my kind of led to my, my hiatus. The other just left me kind of perplexed. It actually happened before the one that led me to, to kind of step back from the hobby a little bit. But th- th- this one that left me perplexed was, um, I had entered a model and this model had, had placed high, a gold and advanced category at amps. So that's kind of the, the first level of of awards within the amp system. And then there's the best ofs and it missed out on best ofs in this particular category to a very obscure tank that was depicted as a rusted derelict with a bunch of modern graffiti on it. Best of this certain nationality of of subject. Right. And I, I was like, that model is really nice, but the way it's presented is not in the context of what it was originally. Does that make sense?
2: It totally makes sense. It's
0: it's not in its element anymore, or whatever. German tank, British tank, American tank. Why was it given the best of that particular nationality of of award? Because, and it, I don't know. For me personally, it, it kind of okay, whatever, man. Yeah. <laughs> that 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 kind of kind of got me a little bit uh, because I think some of those. It's kind of a different thing, right? It's it's not uh, it, it's a range target or some graffitied up abandoned thing that's pre- yeah. depicted 30 years after it was actually in service doing what it was supposed to be doing uh, is a completely different animal than, than uh, that tank in its, in its period crewed by who was going to be crewing it in the theater of operation. They would be crewing it in. I think there's a whole lot of, there's a historical, a historical context that's completely turned on its head when you do something like that. And for me at that point, I was much more competitive. I'm not so much now. Uh, it probably wouldn't bother me as much now, but at that point, it kind of it kind of did, to be honest. And it was just, uh, I, I felt I felt like something had had bested me that was not in keeping with uh, what it was supposed to be.
1: Mike, I think I think maybe a summary of that is what they were modeling was wasn't a tank at that point. They were modeling decay.
0: That's a good way to put it.
1: They were simply modeling the process of decay and you can do that and you can do that beautifully. I mean, it takes real talent to model decay, but if you're modeling decay, it isn't the thing that it was.
2: That's the way I felt. Yeah. I mean, and that was, it. There, I, I've got like a, a couple of different things going on with it. And one is that kind of like, what is the model? What's the subject? Um, you know, and, and, you know, and Shep Payne very famously did a couple of like derelict aircraft dioramas that were, you know, in his monogram model, you know, they and, and seeing the lady be good is yes. the
1: famous one that he did.
2: And I want to say there was a boneyard one in there too, like, yeah. which is, which B-25, is like 25. Yeah. 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 You know, and it's in the, it's in the boneyard and it's falling apart and glass is broken out of it and, and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, I, I, on, on some level it's like virtuoso modeling. And, and that's like one of the things that I will absolutely say about all this is like, it's, it's absolutely stunning and beautiful modeling like that, that I'm, 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 I'm okay with, but the subject is in fact, something that's like, that's like not whole or it's, 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 it is as Dave put it, like it's the decayed thing. It's literally junk and it, and over, you know, kind of going back over to model railroading for a minute, you'll see things similar to this in model railroading where you'll you'll see a, a whole layout of, like the whole layout looks like it's a junkyard or it's <laughs> it's some kind of decaying place. And, uh, and that's, I mean, that actually is an appropriate look for certain kinds of like short lines and narrow gauge and things like that. But in, in a way, it's, to me, it's kind of like, I don't know, one noted or... It's and it's and it is almost like, you know, I guess if we want to make a music analogy, like a rock music analogy, it's like a drum solo. It's like a really, really long, <laughs> a long drum solo. It's like that is some freaking awesome drumming. But, you know, can you can you guys play, um, you know, one of your popular songs now or something like that? And I mean, and and, and again, I mean, this is probably going to like offend a whole bunch of people again anyways. And, 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 that that's fine. That's, that's all good. But that is like, kind of like, I guess that leads up to my second piece of this is, is that in, a, in another way, it's kind of show offy and it might reflect a prejudice that I have about weathering, which is, and it, and this is an old one that, and, and, you know, and I think we all heard about this more in another era of modeling which was like well weathering is just there to like cover up your goofs or your or your mistakes and on some level um i mean i think you know really reproducing a scale finish of something is is tricky you know Mm -hmm. thus you know that's why like a bare bare metal finishes are always when they're done really well are like so impressive it's like wow they've they've duplicated that particular thing or things that are yellow you know any any of those Canadian rescue planes that are yellow or something like that, like anybody who pulls that off, you know, they need to get the Nobel prize in modeling because they, they did something that was, that was, that was really tough. But in a way it's like, this is like, kind of like the drum solo. It's like, you've just, you're just piling on more weathering technique and product at at a certain point. And it's, it's like, yes, there was, you did some great things with that engine compartment with wires hanging out and, and all of that kind of stuff um, or inside the turret ring. If you, if you kind of bothered with that, that, that part of it, but it's, it, at a certain point, it's like virtuoso modeling for the mere sake of virtuoso modeling. And it's not virtuoso modeling to tell a story or to recall a, 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 um, a historical moment or, uh, a particular, the lines and the kind of the interesting look of a particular piece of equipment, um, or any of that stuff. Now it's just like, it's rust, it's mud, it's, you know, it's burn marks, it's, you know, rat poop or, and pigeon poop and stuff like that. I mean, it's awesome. It's like, it's all, like I said, it's virtuoso modeling. I have no, I'm not, I, I, I it's almost Baroque. It, it, Baroque is, yeah, is exactly right. People have done it. I've seen some really good ones. Um, I, I actually think the one that I, you know, that was the target of my, my, my post was actually really good. I love, and I love the cow that they, you know, that that it was a a very well rendered cow, and it was extremely well posed, and added a kind of a, a an accent, if you will, or a counterpoint that was that was really good. But yeah, the idea of a burnout tank or a, a rusted out tank, it's like, so how about a rusted out propane tank? It's kind of you know interesting looking. <laughs> Why you, you know you're gonna know, spend six months like building one and precisely weathering it and, and all that stuff you know a burnout propane tank or a, um, a, a an old tractor or a plow or something like that I, and I see these things in in the like the the Spanish weathering magazines and stuff like that and it's like that's cool it's just not something I'm gonna do or I'm compelled by and you're welcome to do it Um, and I'll say you know one of the best responses I got to that post, by the way, was the guy who just put a picture up of of the Big Lebowski that says, like, man, that's just your opinion. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it it is my opinion. But I um uh, but I you know, I still you haven't changed my mind. I still kind of don't like burnout tank models.
1: Well, it's also your blog. Your blog, your opinion. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Somebody else wants to, to start a blog, that's they can give their opinion. That's-
2: come on down. Yeah. I'll, I'll,
0: All right. Well, Steven, we're right at an hour here. I think we're going to, we're going to wrap this up and, uh, we appreciate you coming on.
2: Thank you. Keep on podcasting.
1: Thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to your next long form post. Can't wait to hear the next subject.
2: Awesome. I really appreciate that. That's, uh, that's inspiring. I just need to kind of become unbusy enough to, to write you another long one.
1: Well, Mike, uh, I think that was an interesting conversation. I hope the listeners enjoyed it. And definitely, if you haven't been in the habit of going over and reading, uh, uh, Steve, Steven's blog, I highly recommend you do so. His long form writing is really, really great, but even his short posts have usually point to something new or interesting or something that I wasn't aware of. So I highly recommend that, uh, that you that you go to his, his blog and take a look at it. Mike, uh, we're getting to the end here. You got a shout out?
0: Oh, I got a couple. Okay. Go. Well, first up, as normal, I'd like to give a shout out to the supporters of Plastic Model Mojo. This episode of our show is brought to you by Mr. Ray Borman, our good friend Alex Restrepo, and Don Gilman. If you'd like to be like those guys and help us out along the way... You can do so by going to www.plasticmodelmojo.com, and there's a heart icon in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage. You can click on that heart icon. It'll take you to a PayPal link, and you can make a contribution to Plastic Model Mojo just like those guys. And it all goes such a long way to helping us out, and we really, really appreciate it. We're going to be really well-equipped for the Nationals, and it helps us pay for our hosting and bring the show to you every other week. Thank you.
1: Absolutely, guys. Uh, we we never imagined that the, we would get support like this, and it really has been gratifying. Thank you very much. I'd like to shout out Wonderfest. Oh, uh, yeah. They absolutely – first of all, personally, Dave Hodge and his whole crew uh, were very, very accommodating when Mike and I intruded on their busiest day of the year, and – uh, Dave gave us, took the, took the time to uh, stop and talk with us when he had a thousand other balls in the air uh, and juggling them all masterfully. And Wonderfest itself has grown so much. It is so much bigger. It is so much more um, than what it started out to be. It's, it's worth going to see, even if you're not a fantasy or science fiction modeler, even if your interest is wholly in in World War II or, or whatever, it's still worth going to see, among other things, their vendors are great. And you'll see some things that uh, will make you nostalgic for the past. You'll look at there's always something that you're looking at and going, oh, yeah, I remember that. And also, in addition, there are some very talented modelers in that genre that I don't think get the appreciation that they should. Um, They're doing stuff not only with weathering and and painting techniques, but they're doing all of this stuff with LED lighting and uh, uh, bases and stuff like that that is really some cutting edge stuff and if you have the opportunity to attend wonderfest it's it's worth doing and i i highly recommend it
0: well i second that you know it's even if it's not your cup of tea modeling wise there's so much interesting pop culture Subject matter there. We had no problem killing time there, did we? No, not at all. Uh, you know, I look forward to next year possibly doing a better job uh, at covering that and talking to some of our other podcast buddies. Yes, uh, who, I agree. We'll definitely be there. And who know way more about all that than we do.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. and And it is it really it, when next year comes around and everything is completely reopened one of the things wonderfest does is it attracts a large number of people from outside of the united states who have uh interest in those these areas and you know the the international nature of, of wonderfest is definitely something that you'll want to experience
0: you got another one i do go Uh, I want to shout out a listener and friend of the show, Ian McCauley, up in Ottawa, Canada. Uh, Ian texted me a day around 2.30 this afternoon, and uh, he's got a shop up there that deals a lot of estate buys and secondhand kits, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And he knew I was looking for that Vulcan Models Stalinets STZ-5 artillery tractor. Yeah. Uh, He said they had one in, sent me a picture of it, and asked me if I wanted it. So within just a few seconds of getting his texts I said yes so <laughs> Heck I guess I I popped on that and bought that. It's a classic situation of a I know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh Ian I just appreciate it. That's you know tell people what you're interested in and if you got a good friend out there they'll help you out every now and then. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I can't tell you the number of times somebody has texted me or called me and said weren't you looking for and and you come by stuff by you know
0: the, the strangest of, of methods. That's true. And he just texted me again right before he hopped on here and said it uh, was boxed up and ready to mail. And the first round is on me. That's me, Mike, uh, mm-hmm. in, o- in Omaha in 2022. <laughs>
1: That's hey w- <laughs> well worth it especially if you can get the 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 free happy hour at the Country Inn and Suites cuz then <laughs> you can buy them the, buy them the first round and it won't won't hurt you at all.
0: <laughs> I don't think they'll fall for that. Yeah, uh, well, you know it's worth a try. <laughs> worth
1: a try. Worth a try. You got another one? Yeah, I got one more. Uh you mentioned Dr. Vitkus earlier and uh the guys at the Mosquito Group build um they we had a Zoom call with them uh this past week, uh at the end of the week. And you know, they really did help me. It the interaction there really helped me get my mojo going, really helped me motivate and and look at remember the joy that I get out of modeling. Again, this isn't a job, this is what you do for fun, and nothing emphasize the fun part of that than sitting around for two hours on a zoom call with these guys, cracking wise, talking, exchanging information. It's, it's the fun part of life. So uh, all of you guys out there in the zoo, in the, the group build who, who talked me into joining when I've got to admit I was a little resistant given my past, uh, challenge and group build failures. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you guys. You, you mean a lot to me. Well, I'm all out of shout outs. You and me both, man. I think this uh, episode's gone about long enough.
0: All right, Dave, as we always say, so many kits. So little time, Mike. See you soon. All right, man. We'll catch you later.